Listen to WGN Radio's newest podcast, Behind the Badge, Illinois, hosted by David Hochberg. Behind the Badge, Illinois, views current events through the eyes of Illinois law enforcement leaders. Tune in. Visit WGNRadio.com slash Behind the Badge. Blackhawk 720. Came to the left circle, pulls up, hole, fires, he scores! Number 400 for Patrick Kane! Take the Blackhawks to go. Blackhawk 720, your insider key to the Hawks. Kane over the Stars line with an empty net. He shoots, he scores! An empty net goal, and that will put it away. It's time for Blackhawk 720, the only Hawks podcast worth listening to. Now, here's Chris Bowden and Joe Brand, podcast royalty. Greetings and salutations, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to a fresh edition of the Blackhawk 720 podcast. Along with the great Joe Brand, I'm the mediocre Chris Bowden, and uh, we have ourselves another departure to talk about. And first it was Corey Crawford, a New Jersey Devil, temporarily, uh, calling it a career, a playing career, uh, early in January, shortly after he realized he was a New Jersey Devil, Joe. <laughs> and then we had Brent Seabrook uh, a little while back. And uh, Monday greeted us after a couple of days off following a disappointing series with the Nashville Predators that did have one thrill. We'll uh, circle back to that. But we uh, wake up on Monday morning to find out that uh, Andrew Shaw, not unexpectedly, is going to be unable to continue his playing career. So since the calendar flipped to 2021, we have had a combined total of seven Stanley Cup rings over three players uh, decide to call it a career. Corey, not so much with the Hawks, but we knew that was going to happen. But uh, and, and this isn't necessarily a, a surprise. It's a disappointment, Joe, uh, knowing how popular and what a fun guy Andrew Shaw was uh, to be around, not only for the players, but for the media as well. But uh, for him to come to this conclusion, you kind of saw it coming uh, when, unfortunately, he had yet another concussion just 14 games into his season back in early February. The positive side about this whole thing is you almost get the feeling like Andrew Shaw leaves on his own terms, even though it's it's not so much his own terms, but he's, he's making the final decision, and it's not nature or science uh, really pushing that fact to where the point it's too late. Um, you really appreciate what type of player that Andrew Shaw was his entire career. And, I mean, when it came down to it, basically what he said is he would rather not play at all than not play the only way he knows how to play. And and that kind of explains who Andrew Shaw is as a player and as a person to a T. Uh, he's a guy that brings a lot of energy nonstop, all 60 minutes, a guy that uh, fits into almost any dressing room fine and, you know, just provides that spark plug of energy that a lot of teams need. And, you know, now he's one of those guys that had come back to the Hawks for a reason. Either he wanted to come or Stan Bowman wanted to figure out a way to bring him back into the mix of things, you know, just like Patrick Sharp, just like Andrew Ladd, just like Brian Campbell. I mean, there's a reason why these guys want to come back to the Chicago Blackhawks, and whether or not it's to end their career, it's because they were part of such a special thing, and they kind of want to relive that all again. And, you know, a lot of factors go into it, the fans, the city. 
Um, but but Andrew Shaw is always going to be one of those guys who you'll you will remember most as a Blackhawk. He spent the majority of his career and uh, his best years here. And also, I mean, a, a lot of recognition to Joel Quinville today about how he made Andrew Shaw the type of player that he is. And you know, Andrew Shaw said it a couple of times. He doesn't know if he'd have a ten year career if if it weren't for Joel Quinville. So a lot of cool things to reflect on for Andrew Shaw and. I, I'm so mad I wasn't there in the press conference earlier today because I do have a question for Andrew Shaw, but I'm going to just lay it on you to maybe ask him later tonight on your and Nick Gizmondi show of yep. uh, Blackhawks Live 720. So uh, that's what we call a tease in the radio business. That's okay. that's going to be coming uh, You're going to give this to me? Well, you want an hour? Or, um, sure, why not? Why okay. Not? Fire, fire away. By the way, we are in... Uh, Plankton's Pilsen podcast pad once again. I was uh, greeted. I don't know if it's been a couple of weeks, but I uh, got a very warm greeting from uh, the one-eyed black cat, and it was good to see him again. Yeah, he again. he definitely missed you. He was asking, you know, where's Chris? He, he hasn't called. meowing ever since the last time I walked out of here. <laughs> but yeah, he uh, gave you a very uh, gracious jump onto your lap. And, a soft uh, bite. Yeah. And that was, that was great. Well, that's how you know he likes you. So, yes, yes. It's, it's warm and fuzzy. You're, you're both making yourself very so comfortable here. So what's your here. question? My question for Andrew Shaw is, okay, let's go back through your career. If you do not win two Stanley Cups. If you don't win one Stanley Cup with the Chicago Blackhawks, how easy is this decision to walk away right now? Hmm. How easy is it? How, how much more difficult is it? And maybe not even that. Maybe let's say he wins those Stanley Cups but isn't as big of a factor as he was. You know, what if he's just a guy that gets some playing time here or there just because of the situation, not anything that he yeah. he has done or anything like that. But if that were the case, how much more difficult of a decision is this? Because yeah. I think that's why he was such such a loved player with the Blackhawks organization because what he did in those Stanley Cup games and in those Stanley Cup playoffs, I can't wait to go through a couple of the, the memories that I think a lot of other fans remember as well. But, um, but yeah, I mean, he was such a big part of those runs, and it, it made him such a... A notable player. I wonder how different it is today. Well, you, and you, we'll play. We'll play uh, the bulk of what uh, Andrew had to say on on Monday, uh, late Monday morning, with the media uh, via Zoom once again. And you can tell there is some uh, strength he needed to hold his emotions together with the way he was answering some of the questions. You know, uh, n- nothing clear cut, but uh, you know, him pausing for a couple of seconds before choosing his words, kind of carefully, uh, he was able to hold it together. Um, uh, my guess is it, it probably is a little bit. E- I don't know if he, medically he would have had any choice, mm-hmm. um, but maybe easier because he enjoyed some of those long runs and some of those moments, and you know, uh, had a, a you know a goal that went off his noggin, um, you know, uh, by choice, nullified, by yeah, choice, nullified, and he had his shin pad moments in Game <laughs> One of uh, the 2013 Stanley Cup Final, and. You know, was able to to raise the cup for the first time with blood streaming down one of his cheeks in in Boston, the first of of two that he won because he was also part of that 2015 team. But I, I, yeah, I think I think medically there may have not have been any choice. I think maybe emotionally and psychologically the fact that he he had those long runs, and I think at the same time it probably it probably. Uh, also makes it more difficult because of the joy that he experienced in in some of those instances in in being able to to be a cup winner and to be a part of you know parades through the streets of Chicago. But nevertheless, I think it's a greater sense of satisfaction. But I will I will ask him yeah definitely that question when uh, we have our Blackhawks live show on Monday night as we record here on Monday from the PPPP <laughs> uh, the podcast pad and only twenty nine years old. 
there's probably still some good hockey left in him. And, you know, I, I got to thinking, and we'll, once we hear from Andrew, we will look back on those three games against Nashville, um, which have more or less, I think, sealed the Blackhawks' fate, playoff fate on this season. It's it's still not only uh, still not a completely shut door, but um, reading all the tea leaves and the signs and the standings when you come down to it, just a team that they could not figure out except for one period, actually except for a half a period mm-hmm. in the middle game of that series last week. But I got to thinking that Andrew Shaw... Uh, more types of those players, more types of like the Brandon Hagels and the Vinny Hinnestrosas and uh, guys, a lot of young guys that the Blackhawks have on their roster right now are going to have to find ways to adapt and commit to being in order to beat teams like Nashville. Andrew Shaw would have been another great guy like a Hagel and like a Hinnestrosa to have in that three-game series against Nashville. That's not to say you know, a handful or, you know, half the roster or whatever uh, that the Blackhawks have right now can certainly morph and and be able to adjust down the road when it comes time to, you know, know, adapt your game to a particular opponent. But Nashville certainly has the upper hand in, in dictating style right now against the Blackhawks. They have had for have had it for a couple years running and especially this season. And when you Take into effect, uh, t- take into account that of a possible 16 points between these two teams this year, the Blackhawks had four. Nashville had 15 of a possible 16 points, and that is make or break when it comes down to fourth place. And Andrew Shaw was the perfect type of player that uh, the Blackhawks could have used and encounter some of Nashville's style against the the way they would need to play. Um, whereas right now. There are some guys still in the process of learning how they need to play against a team like Nashville. Another thing that Andrew Shaw said about Joel Quinville was um, some of the best advice he got was the best thing you can give an NHL coach is consistency because then that way the person putting you out on the ice knows what you are going to bring to the table day in and day out. And I love the comparison that Andrew Shaw brought up on his own, that Brandon Hagel can be the next Andrew Shaw to, to provide that aggressiveness, to, to chase the, the puck down the ice and, and not give up on a certain play. And, you know, we've been talking a lot this past week about how great of a spark plug Vinny Hinestroza has been because he's been doing those little things. And... We talked about the first game of this trio against Nashville, not having Brandon Hagel, and and not saying that that was the make or break of winning that game or not, but yeah, that absence was probably uh, very notable in that game because of what you saw Brandon Hagel did in the following game when the Blackhawks made that three-goal comeback. Um, it, it It is kind of interesting, the timing, because it seems like right now, or at least especially against Nashville in all these games, that's something the Blackhawks have lacked. But you do have to give credit to the Predators of making it very difficult to transition out of the neutral zone for hanging back and constantly just um, slowing down the Hawks' offense in that regard. And then it seemed like almost every game, a two-goal lead is the perfect thing for Nashville because they clog the lanes and they 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 dictate the play of the game because they're up by two goals. They can play a little bit, little bit more conservatively. And I think you especially saw that on Friday. The Blackhawks finally got through it in the middle game of the trio, the one game that they win against Nashville. 
And Patrick Kane talked about it, how, how struggling it had been playing against Nashville because they just play to those strengths and they do it so well this year. Not to mention they've got a real hot goaltender goal in Soros. So all these things have happened that have really slowed down the Hawks this year. And when you're going, when it's against the team that you're kind of going up against head-to-head in the fight for that final playoff spot, it makes it all that more frustrating and all that m- much more difficult. And that last game on Friday, I mean, like you said, maybe a little bit of a slow start, but once the 10-minute mark hits in the first period, they hit another gear. And all of a sudden, it's shot after shot after shot. But you mix in those things of... Nashville being able to contain the Blackhawks offense, and when they do get a good chance, Soros is there for the stop. That one goal, that first goal that comes from Nashville's favor is all that much more deflating, and I think that's what mainly happened on Friday. Nashville didn't close the deal on Wednesday, and you heard John Hines talk after that game about them getting away from what they do best. They took their foot off the gas probably a little bit, that 4-1 lead uh, in the third period, and the Blackhawks were able to come back uh, credit to them for continuing to work hard and, and eventually exploit Nashville taking their foot off the gas. Uh, so it was that one glory moment against Nashville this season. But you knew, even though it was a breakneck pace, and it really actually worked in the Blackhawks' favor the first period of that game on Friday, uh, once Nashville took that lead, you knew they were not going to allow it to happen again. Some tough goals after spectacular performances, a couple of spectacular performances from Malcolm Subban, and even having his moments in Friday's game, a couple that you know he, he probably wanted back um, with the three that Nashville scored in that particular game. So we'll, we'll circle back to some of those interesting roster decisions, the frustration of Kane, um, and, and where the Blackhawks are moving forward here the rest of the season and, and how they might handle things lineup-wise, roster-wise, um, and, and how it could affect some decisions moving here forward, including you know, a contract, that the, a decision that they made over the weekend as well. But uh, for the here and now, let, let's look back and, and let uh, Andrew Shaw certainly enjoy his moment because uh, he has certainly deserved it. And, you know, we remember him, what was it, back in the 11 or 12 season, first coming on and really making a splash and putting a stamp on it who he was and what his career was going to be in his very first game, getting in a scrap with a tough guy, scoring a goal later on in a game in Philadelphia. And that kind of set the tone for his entire career, especially his Blackhawks career. So, yeah, you'll hear Andrew here. It's about 14, 15 minutes. Um, Always fun to listen to. Um, And he brings it here talking about his gratefulness for the trust that Joe Quenville and Stan Bowman and the hockey operations staff were putting their faith in him after being bypassed in two drafts before the Hawks made him a fifth-round draft pick uh, one year. And uh, also just his style of play, him coming to terms, knowing, knowing that coming into this season, he probably was going to be one hit away uh, from having to, to call it a career. And unfortunately, it did happen in that game against Florida. And like so many other athletes, when it's time to walk away, you'll hear Andrew talk about it's not necessarily some on-ice moments, and he certainly had his share during his time here, but the fact that it's the stuff off the ice that he's going to miss most and uh, will be most difficult to replace in his his life here moving forward, even though uh, he makes it very clear he has a real loving family and you know a couple of kids he's looking forward to spend time with, there will be that void. So uh, let's hear from Andrew Shaw and his give and take with the media on Monday afternoon here as uh, we continue here on the Blackhawks 720 podcast. Obviously, it's been in the back of my head for a few years now. Uh, but my love for the game obviously pushed it away, and you know, just 
listening to doctors for once in my life, uh, we finally made a decision that it would be best for me to step away from the game because um, there's no way I can change the way I play. And it's just going to keep putting myself in vulnerable uh, situations. So for my long-term health, I think it's, it's best that uh, I do so. You spoke rather eloquently before the season about you know, how you would come to terms with the end of your career whenever it would come. Now that it's here, does it feel the way you thought it would, or is it easier? Is it harder to take? It's hard. It is, obviously. I've been playing hockey since I was four years old, played 10 years in the NHL, and it became my life. And, uh, and it's tough to walk away from that. But I got a, a loving wife and loving kids and parents and siblings and friends that uh, you know helped me with this transition for sure. Everyone talks about the headbutt goal or uh, you had a triple overtime Stanley Cup final goal. What's your, what, what's the one memory you'll take with you forever from your career? Sitting in the locker room with the guys. I think that's stuff that you guys don't see, the fans don't see. The brotherhood and you know, just how we razz each other every day. Me being one of the ones razzing most people. Uh, I'm going to miss that. So I hope my wife got thick skin because she's probably going to be coming after her. As you talked about contemplating this decision over the last several years, I'm sure you had several conversations with your family. You also made several attempts to come back and play. So I'm wondering how hard it was for them knowing you'd be exposed at that time and, and how, how much it meant to you that they supported those decisions over the years. Um, yeah, it's obviously tough for them, but they know how much I love the game. So they didn't want to take that away from me either. And they never wanted to be the reason I retired. So they supported me, took care of me when I needed it, uh, pushed me when I needed it. And, you know, my wife used to, she used to love when I fight, you know, she, she just enjoyed it. And now later in my career, it would always scare her. So I think that's also a sign to, to move on as well. Going undrafted twice, did you ever did you ever doubt that this could be your career that you'd have be able to have this kind of success and longevity? Was that, was that ever did you ever think that was not possible? Yeah, I mean, I was always told I was never good enough, never big enough, never fast enough, never skilled enough. So yeah, obviously, I'm just grateful for the time I had. I mean, ten years, two Stanley Cups, you know, over 500 games. I. I I have a lot of memories that I'll be able to, to remember and maybe people saying all those things uh, put a, a chip on my shoulder and made me want to prove them wrong. But the reason I think I eventually made it was just for the love of the game, you know, the passion I brought to the game, how competitive I am as a person. You can't, you know, all that's uh, more important than skill and speed and, and size. So I think it, being passed over and, and told all those things just pushed me more, I guess. I know it weighed on you whether to come back this season. Looking at those 14 games, was it worth it? Or how do you look at that now, your decision to come back this season? Totally worth it. Scored two more goals at the UC. Would have loved them and able to, to share that experience with fans, but you know, it was it was worth it for me, you know, and I hope some of these new young guys that came in learned a little bit from me and carry on in their career with a little part of Andrew Shaw. So uh, to me, it's totally worth it. You're known for a certain style of play. Um, 
are there guys in the league or certainly within the Black Hawks that um, you would like to see develop in that kind of mold that you are? I would love to see the kind of mold I am continue in hockey for generations. And you do see a little bit of yourself in, in players. Obviously, most players have similarities. That's why they've made it to the NHL. There's just something about players in the NHL that a lot have. But, you know, you look at a guy like Brandon Hagel who can skate and get on forechecks and, and play physical. I, I think that uh, will help him in his career. I obviously think he's a lot more skilled uh, than me and faster than I was. Um, so I'd like to see him push himself uh, to make, to be more consistent. You know, I mean, he's, he's been a great player. Um, and when I was young, I had a guy like Marion Hosted to look up to. And Joel Quinville always told me the most important thing you could find in a player is consistency. Cause then you know what you're going to get from him game in game out. And, I'd like to see young players try to figure that part out of their game uh, earlier in their career to give them a longer career. Uh, I, I think I think you see a little bit of Hags and a little bit of me and Hags for sure. Have you thought about what you're going to be doing? Um, you know, both in your personal life and maybe how you might stay involved in hockey in the future. Um, yeah, I've, I've thought about it. Right now, um, I'm excited to be able to spend a lot of time with my family. You know, no more 3 a.m. nights, uh, long flights, being told what to wear, where to be, uh, what, what to eat. You know, I, I think uh, the freedom for a little bit, it'll be nice, but obviously that'll wear off. I'll want to get back into hockey for sure. Um, what that's going to be, I don't know. But I do know I love this city. My family loves this city. And we will be in and out of this city for years to come. Uh, so I look forward to that. Um, it's not a goodbye. You know, it's, uh, I'm going to be around. You're going to see this awesome face. You're going to hear this awesome voice uh, a lot more. So appreciate you guys supporting me and, and congratulating me on a career. But my life isn't over. I, I got a lot more to live, but for the meantime, I'm probably going to go home. I help my dad build a house, get into some construction. It's always been rewarding to me. Uh, demolition, finishing, you know, I think that'll be fun. It'll keep me busy for now. What's your message to the fans? Because they embraced you. They loved you and they probably feel tough that they can't even express it to you right now. Well, you haven't seen my Instagram. It's blown up. Um, I'm getting lots of love. It feels great. I don't know if they're trying to make me cry or not, but uh, I want to thank everyone who took a 20-year-old mutt and gave him a home. Um, made me feel right at home here. Everyone was very kind. Chicagoans are the best people. Uh, welcoming, caring, loving, supportive Uh and I, I'm going to miss the, the blue collar mentality too that this city has. You know, everyone works hard and and pulls their weight and and, and I don't know, make this place a home to many people. Uh, everyone was great to my wife, to my kids, to my mom and dad, my siblings. My brother loved it so much that he he lives down here now. Um, so then, uh, saying that, 
I'll be here more visiting him as well. So I want to thank Chicago. I want to thank the fans, uh, but you'll be seeing more of me for sure. What do you think is the actual number of concussions you suffered? And have you always taken the good decisions regarding these concussions and their rehabilitation and everything? A uh, number, I don't know, a lot. Um, we've taken precautionary steps for sure for each one, obviously, but I think we've learned more about concussions in the past five years than we had. We've known about it in a long time. So the teams of Montreal and Chicago both made sure I was completely healthy before playing again. So I don't know how many n number of concussions I've had in my life, but more than more than most, that's for sure. What kind of conversations did you have with teammates who recently retired or even Jeremy Colleton? He was visibly upset uh, when you uh, suffered your last concussion. And obviously, we know what Jeremy uh, went through with his career. So what, what kind of conversations did you have with him and maybe some former teammates? I mean, former teammates, I, I asked him, what do you do with all your free time? Uh, <laughs> You know, they say you get into a routine, stay busy. You know, I have kids, so life at home is busy as it is anyways. Um, but make sure you take care of yourself. If they always say, if I need to talk to them, they're there for me. So I think the hockey community is very tight that way. We take care of our own. So I'm in good hands that way. And talked to Jeremy a few times. You know, he made sure I'm feeling better that this is the decision I want. And if I never needed to talk to him as well, he's there for me and told me his experience of what he went through and, you know, just, just knowing that they care and love me is all that I need really. How are you doing now? Um, how was the recovery from the latest concussion, Ben? And are you in a, a good place mentally at this point? Um, yeah, I, I'm in a good place. Obviously right now, with the announcement and everything, motions are, are all over the place, but I feel good. I look good. Um, you know, I, I staying strong, staying healthy, you know, doing everything I need to do to feel good. Uh, those are minor things, maybe a little bit, but that's something I'm probably going to continue to work on for a while. I mean, time heals everything. And, you know, I, I've felt great coming out of, After every concussion, I made sure I was feeling good. So I'm going to do the same with this one as well. I'm in a good, I'm in a good place. When it happened in, in February, did you kind of know immediately this would, would probably be the end or were you still hoping to come back from it? Hmm, I don't know. A little bit of both, I guess. You see, it's, it's tough to admit when things are at its end. So you kind of try and push it off and just, well, what I was focused on right away was just getting better. I didn't think about any of that stuff right away. I think that can become toxic. So I just focused on feeling better for my family, for myself. And then we had to make a decision and going through that over and over again, like I have in the past few years, just doesn't seem like a good quality of life. And the doctors didn't think, you know, I should keep putting myself through that. And with long-term effects, you know, concussions, it's obviously hard to tell what's going to happen, but with my history and it seeming to happen more and more often, I thought they thought it was best for me to, uh, to finish playing the game that I love. 
I ask you about Joel Quinville? Just what did he mean to you as a coach during his uh, during your time playing under him? Well, he made me. He's one of the coaches who made me who I am. Um, he took a kid who had passion, work ethic, um, someone who was intense, and he let me be me. He let me play my style. He let me walk the line. I know there's times where I went over the line and, and took penalties and it might have hurt the team. But he saw in the long run that I was doing more good than I was harm. And I hope the fans notice that because, you know, I still get hate for stupid penalties, but it doesn't bother me. I'm me. And uh, Q made sure that I, I stayed me, stayed true to myself. And I think it rubbed off on my teammates. They saw how hard I work, was working, how competitive I was the war, warrior mentality where there wasn't a day, a game that went by that I felt a hundred percent because the game before that I took some blows or threw some blows and just to battle through it, I think rubbed off on some people. And I like to think that it helps us win cups. Um, even though I wasn't the guy to score a lot of goals or put up a lot of points, I was a guy that battled every single night that I was on the ice and Q pushed that into me. He made sure that I was consistent, that I was, that he could rely on me game in, game out. You know, not being a guy who scores a lot of goals, when we're down a goal with a minute left, I was always the guy to take the goalie. I was always on the ice. He said, get to the net, do your thing, create as much havoc as you can. And I don't think without Joel being my first coach in the NHL, that I might not have had a 10 year career. So I owe him a lot of thanks. I also owe Mark Reeds, a coach I had in junior, my last year in Owen Sound. He took me out of a, an organization who just saw me as a certain player. And he brought me there and he said, I want you to be you. I want you to piss as many people off as you can. I don't care if you take a penalty uh, a time or two. And him and Joel knew each other, they, they played together. And I think they both saw the same thing in me, and it helped me become the player I am today. It wouldn't be a, an Andrew Shaw press conference. He didn't talk about how uh, pretty his face was, how handsome he was, yada, yada. But also, just some great stuff there. Um, obviously, who knows how many actual concussions that, that he had. I think a lot of guys who go through this, it's, it's kind of an unknown. And him putting himself out there with the style that he had, there is a, certainly a risk-reward factor, and he had a share of rewards, but ended up, you know, succumbing to all the risks he put himself in. And, and again, him saying he went into the season thinking he could protect himself a little bit more. And a couple games in, after getting rid of the face shield that he couldn't stand, unfortunately, he ended up getting that concussion that, that did end up, you know, ending his career. Whether a face shield would have protected him more from that, you know, I'm, I'm not quite sure. But I thought it was really cool the way you, you can tell how much he feels the connection with the city as much as the Blackhawk fans connected with him. You know, as time went on during his career here, you started seeing more and more 65 jerseys out there at the United Center on the street. And, um, you know, uh, his love for the city, him wanting to remain, keep the city as part of his life and part of his family, uh, really rings true. And uh, there's probably not a more more blue-collar guy during all of the Blackhawk Stanley Cup runs than uh, that guy who won two of them in 2013 and 2015. 
I, I love the note he said about it, how his wife used to love the way he got into fights. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then not so much anymore. You know, every once in a while, eventually that motorcycle gets a little outdated and you got to trade it in for a minivan. And uh, I feel like that's kind of what Andrew Shaw was kind of implying towards with, with the status of who he is, where he is at his life right now, and, and moving forward with his kids. And, I mean, that's the crazy thing about this whole thing, too, is he's still only 29 years old. I mean, yeah. that's... That was uh, that. That kind of raised my eyebrows. I, I didn't realize that just because it seems like he's been here for so long. Um, but you know, again, so many things go into it. But I still feel like at the end of the day, it's it's his decision to end it right now before anything gets too out of hand. And I mean, think about heading into this year when it was publicly known about the issues that he's dealt with with concussions and how he he had to tweak his game heading into this year, and we all question that. Not so much can he do it, but how would that look? How would Andrew Shaw, a little bit more reserved, mm. not that aggressive player, look like? And, uh, you know, unfortunately it only got into February, um, just a little bit over a month of the season, so we weren't able to see exactly what it looked like. And then now at the end of the day, Andrew Shaw says, if I'm not able to play that way, if doctors tell me I can't, then I, I'm not going to play anymore. And, and I like how he put it, too. He's like, for the first time, I'm listening. I'm listening to, to some of the experts. And, and again, he's he's done so much in a, in a 10-year career that a lot of players wish that they could have accomplished their even much longer careers. So tip of the cap to him, a, a stick tap for him. Um, like, like he said, and I think so many Hawks fans resonate, it's just how much he fit in with this fan base in this city and how much of good friends he and Patrick Kane were. We, we already took a look at a picture of the Titanic reenactment. <laughs> you uh, had to bring that up. I can't unsee that anymore. <laughs> it's just one of those uh, bromance pictures that everyone fell in love with. It's like, oh, Kane and Shaw, best friends, and... You know, hanging out off the ice as well, and uh, you know, again, he was just—he was one of those characters that everyone will always remember for the three cup run, but obviously the last two, the ones he was a part of, and uh, like you said, day one, his first game, making an impact with a fight and a goal. He was—he was close to the Gordy Howe hat trick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, yeah, he will forever go down in, in uh, Blackhawk fans' memory and Blackhawks lore. And the good part about this all, he. And and we trust he's he's being as honest as we can with us. That he says right now he's feeling good from that last concussion. He's in a good place, and uh, hopefully that is the case. And hopefully he isn't affected down the road like you know uh, a good handful of, of some of these players who experience something now feel better uh, for a number of years and, and then it creeps in. We certainly hope and, and pray uh, he doesn't fall victim to that and. You know, the other thing he brought up as well, the comp to to Brandon Hagel. And I don't think, you know, Brandon Hagel isn't quite the agitator or will be quite the agitator that that Andrew Shaw was. But in terms of style of play, um, you know, a faster skater, but again, one of those um, nose-over-the-puck guys who is always going 110, 120% in miles per hour as as far as that's concerned. Um, Brandon Hagel... He also spoke after Monday's practice, and uh, he was smiling ear to ear in terms of the relationship he was able to establish with Andrew Shaw and the influence that he had on him. And I think that's pretty easy to see. You know, he may not be quite the mutt that Andrew Shaw was uh, all those years, and quite the agitator where he's going to be getting into scraps and fights in front of the net. But in terms of will and effort, uh, I, I think that's that's a pretty decent comp there. And 
And that brings us forward now into looking back on that again in that Nashville series and, and moving forward here with what the Hawks decide to do uh, now as, um, you know, there has been some separation. They're now trailing Dallas as well in the standings. And, you know, this team since the start of March is only – they've lost – 13 of 25 games, which doesn't sound that bad, when you take into account the fact that they have only uh, one non-regulation loss in those 25 games. That's where you start to see the the points make up for themselves. Not being able to push Nashville to overtime games, you know, that's where you start to see the discrepancy in points. And now here moving forward, based on some of the decisions that they've made in that Nashville series and since then, you start kind of wondering and scratching your heads toward the future. Um, Dylan Strom was a healthy scratch in the last two games of that series, partly because, you know, the Blackhawks went three times in five games where they were down to five defensemen and Jeremy Colleton felt the need, especially throwing Kyle Dehan out there with kind of a cranky, achy hip. Uh, whether being unsure whether he would be able to make it through. And, in fact, he wasn't able to, to make it through that middle game on Wednesday night. So he goes seven defensemen, but the forward that he scratches is Dylan Strom. And for him not to be included in the forward group in such important games, you know, kind of makes you wonder a little bit and, and is certainly, at, at very minimum, a message being sent to Dylan Strom, um, who I think has just four points over his last... 17, 18 games, something like that. They're all, I think they're all goals as well, preceding the time that he missed due to concussion protocol. So very interesting decisions. And when you start looking forward here uh, down the road uh, in terms of who the Blackhawks prioritize, it, it's becoming a pretty crowded group here when you think Henrik Borgstrom is going to likely be coming over, Lucas Reichel, whether he is NHL ready or at least going to Rockford, he's going to be a guy you start looking at moving forward here. Um there's some some interesting decisions that the Blackhawks have to make, and you know, uh, I think one of the things they they're going to have to keep an eye on, if given the opportunity, is how strong a finish Dylan Strom has here in these uh, last seven or eight games of the season, if afforded the opportunity. Well, well, let's just also make it clear that it's it's had to have been a very frustrating season for Dylan Strom. I mean, what with the injuries that's kept him out, and like you said recently, a couple of healthy scratches, and a lot of times when he has played, it hasn't been his normal position. He's been going to the wing. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you, you got to feel for him there, but um, he also has had the opportunities. I mean, we've talked about it the past couple of years of what the Blackhawks were going to do with him contract-wise, but, um, you know... A full crowded roster, like you said, is is another factor here because, you know, everyone was pitching in at the beginning of the year, and now when we get towards the conversation of consistency, I mean, Brandon Hagel out of the young guys, he's been the one that's been consistent. It's it's hard to find other people down that list to continue buying their playing time and continuing to prove to Jeremy Colleton a reason why they should be out there. Uh, for as many shifts as they are. So the consistency has been a factor, and now as this playoff opportunity continues to decline game in and game out, now you're just going to see a lot of young guys being rotated, I would feel, to see who can make an impact for me for next season. How are you going to make my decision for next year a little bit easier? Because right now it's it's very complicated. There's a lot of tough decisions to make for the Hawks. Um, Obviously there's... 
an expansion draft that you're going to have to play into effect too mm-hmm. with this whole thing. So, uh, so many things go into it. And uh, I guess the one good thing is they've got a lot of young options, but now it's a matter of who's going to play, who's going to take advantage of that time, and who's going to prove their, their selves worth for next year. Yeah, and, and yeah, I, I, we're not saying here that, you know, the Blackhawks. Their makeup right now is is the finished product moving forward here, especially if you start thinking of bringing some young kids and you know whether you know where an Alex Nylander moves into the mix next year. Hopefully, Jonathan Taves. Since you know right. we lasted a, a, a podcast, Darren Drager came on with the report that uh, he is improving and if he continues on the path that he's on right now, should be good to go. Uh, but we don't know what Jonathan is going to be like after a complete year off either. But you know he's going to be on the roster if he's healthy enough to go. Um, so it, it just raises a lot of question what the Blackhawks, in Strom's case, need from him and something they really haven't seen since his first year here when he was acquired in that trade from Arizona. Um, that's when he was at his best. And in the last couple of years, we haven't seen him play up to the standard uh, when he was acquired two years ago with uh, with Perlini in that deal uh, with the uh, Arizona uh, Coyotes, uh, in which uh, Nick Schmaltz w- was sent uh, down south in that trade. So the Blackhawks are looking for and need Dylan Strome to be that player that they were, that he was when they, they first acquired him uh, a couple of years ago. And, you know, also in the mix, it's, it's kind of interesting here that over the weekend the Blackhawks decided to ex- when they made that trade with Florida, that second trade with Florida, uh, you know, with with Borgstrom and Brett Connolly and Riley Stillman, Riley Stillman was the guy that you almost naturally thought least about because Connolly has a track record. Borgstrom's a former first round draft pick. Stillman's a fourth rounder that you know played a handful of games last year. I think got into eight or nine this year with Florida. Um, and he was kind of almost the afterthought. Now he has moved to the forefront in terms of. You know the current priority for the Blackhawks in terms of extending him. You know for uh, for three years at a one point three million dollar hit. He's gotten the opportunity for five or six games. He's not been spectacular, but he has been solid, and he also supplies that physical element that they were looking for from Nikita Zadorov. Now Zadorov certainly has statistically the hits, but with the inconsistency in the defensive zone, what to do with the puck, and, um, you know, one night he'll fill up a stat sheet with six or seven hits, and the other times, you know, you only see one or two, if that, from him, and uh, they can't have that, especially as Zadorov goes into a restricted free agency contract year. You know, if, if he's looking for, you know, north of, of 3.5 or $4 million, uh, you have to think the Hawks would have some hesitancy to do that, do that, especially after, you know, they decided to to commit to Riley Stillman for a couple more years. And I think the most frustrating thing about the Nikita Zadorov situation is the mistakes he make. The the mistakes he makes sometimes directly lead to a goal, mm-hmm. and and that's kind of what's continue continued to be the slide of the Blackhawks season as of late. I mean, with Riley Stillman, you're getting some consistent play from this guy, and like you said some muscle so there's that quality over quantity aspect there with Riley Stillman and I mean it's it's a pretty good deal I mean it's what uh, AAV of 1.35 mil so I mean it gives you that flexibility you got control on him for a couple of years he's 23 so he's in that mix with younger defensemen so 
I mean, all in all, a pretty good move right now for the Hawks. Of course, it could come back and bite you, but so could any move that you do. You can't really have that mentality right now. So it just seems like they're taking advantage of the opportunity that they have right now after making that move. And, um, you know, it, there wasn't too much of a downside with this move, I feel. Yep, and and it's also very interesting in the mix with how you've seen some of these guys develop and slot. Um, Stillman's getting consistent playing time, and he hasn't proved that he needs to be taken out. Same with Wyatt Kalanuck, even though I think he's dealing with a hip thing right now, but uh, he's been consistently seen, uh, consistently in that lineup, shown some offensive upside, and you know we're still waiting for Ian Mitchell to you know have that opportunity, bounce back with it. Instead of Mitchell, we saw Nicholas Bodan uh, get rotated back in, get an opportunity in that Friday game against Nashville. So when you start looking at this uh, young defensive core, we kind of knew going into the season with all these young players, all these rookies, it was going to be a roller coaster ride, ebbs and flows. And Ian Mitchell, you know, even after practice here, uh, as as I came from after practice on Monday, he's putting in his work solo with with some of the uh, uh, individual skills coaches. Everyone's off the ice after practice, and Mitchell's out there grinding out another thirty or forty five minutes. It's not like he's not working on his game. Uh, you know he's he is putting the work in, but as we move forward this week, if the Blackhawks do not get the results, do not show uh, you know uh, a climb in the standings here based on what a Nashville and a Dallas are doing in front of them, you know I'm interested in seeing as you head into the last week or ten days of the season, if they're so inclined to just Duncan take a couple nights off, Connor Murphy take a couple nights off, and you throw all those young guys in there to. Give them an opportunity. This is their last chance uh, in games that count, games against top-quality competition because all these teams are ahead of the Blackhawks right now to see how they fare against uh, some of these other clubs that are you know, scratching and battling and, and fighting their way out for positioning in the playoffs if the Blackhawks aren't going to be included in that. I think that'd probably be the best move for the entire organization moving forward. Um, something that Patrick Kane said, I believe it was after Friday's game, when asked about, you know, what does this team gain even though playoffs are still a long shot? And, of course, he gives the team first answer first, stating, you know, we're not out of it mathematically yet, so we're not out of it mentally yet, which is, you know, the right thing to say. But then he goes on to talk about just, just the quality of games that the team has been playing and how, how important and beneficial that is for this young core moving forward. And it, it gets to what we were talking about earlier this year, how, you know, maybe they don't have that great start if all these young players aren't able to get so much playing time because they don't have to worry about not getting playing time in the next game. And they, they could just play their own style play their own game and they buy into the system and it works and clearly that has faltered as the season has gone along um, but but that's still something to be said that these these guys these young guys are still getting quality games some games that you're playing for something so whenever that does burn out and if it does yeah I think you got to move towards getting more playing time even more playing time for the younger guys giving a guy like Keith and Murphy just a break and um you know, just just kind of not laying it all on the line, but say, all right, here here's your opportunity to show us what you can bring to the table for next season, how we're going to we're going to maneuver things, and and 
basically lay everything out on the table and, and figure out what we're attacking first. And, um, you know, and, and then if it gets to that point, it's up to an individual aspect, an individual initiative to to get your case out for, for being part of this team moving forward. Yep, and, yeah, it's kind of like uh, final auditions for this season. Yeah. You know, this, is the, this is your final tape. Put one together here. <laughs> show, us, uh, show us, you know, how much you have progressed from – you know, back at training camp in January. Before I wrap up here, I want to say one thing about Patrick Kane because um, I, I usually make a habit of going going back and watching the TV uh, broadcast as well, just to see if I can pick up on anything Pat Netty may say, or whoever Pat is working with, or even on a national telecast uh, in that in that thrilling game with uh, um, uh, Brendan Burke. He had play by play of that one with Eddie on Wednesday night. But one thing um, that was said during the broadcast, the TV uh, copy of it on Friday, at the end of these three games against Nashville and basically the season series, Patrick Kane probably felt like he was in a closet because of the way the attention was paid to him, how much he was bottled up. He wasn't given very much time and space. And when you no longer have... um, the three or four talented lines that you can roll who all have offensive punch when you no longer have a Patrick Sharp and a Marion Hosa and a Jonathan Taves and any number, a Brandon Saad, any number of other established guys that cause an opponent to not necessarily focus in on one or two players, Nashville could focus in on him. And there was a guy or two that were always not too far away from Patrick Kane during that entire three-game series and basically during the entire season-long series and going back even further than that. In his last 20 or 21 games, he has one goal against the Nashville Predators. And it's kind of also a reflection of since he got that 400th goal this season, Patrick in his last 25 games has only four goals. He's still continuing to produce. He's right up there in points and assists with everybody else. But you can tell there's a certain sense of frustration of how things have kind of been mounting here over the course of the last two months since he reached that milestone, and especially against the Nashville Predators, who could really zero in on him. And you cut off the head of the monster, and uh, you're testing your opponent to see whether you know they can walk or run or skate in order to stay afloat. And the Hawks had difficulty doing that. I think... When this season is all said and done, right? Patrick Kane had a, a minus five rating against Nashville, so yeah, that to a T explains uh, what the Predators were able to do. And you know, you mix that in with everything we talked about earlier: controlling the neutral zone, having a good goaltender, uh, just defense shutting down or at least limiting the amount of quality chances the Blackhawks have had on Nashville all season long. I mean. That's why the Predators were so good against the Hawks this year. And, um, you know, their, their ability to do it so well is, uh, man, like you said, got to be frustrating for Kane and the entire team because you just kind of, you know, when Kane gets the puck, okay, waiting for him to score. Here is the opportunity. Here is the chance. And then when that doesn't come to be, uh, maybe some more players get pressure on themselves. And then just the general pressure to score a goal becomes all that much more overbearing. And it, it's just crazy how it was kind of the same story with every Nashville game this year. And it's really weird here as we wrap up. One thing I, I posed the question to Troy after after the you know, three games with Nashville were done, is it almost a relief that these guys get to play, and it's weird to say, get to play, more wide-open teams like Tampa Bay, Florida, and wow, Carolina, yeah. uh, rather than you know the snuff-you-out you know <laughs> uh, approach that that Nashville has. 
yeah, those three teams, the top three th- teams in the division, are deeper and more talented than you. But when it comes to style of play, is it almost you know, a, a relief to face that team, no matter what you're asking for, going up against the Canes and the Bolts and, and the Panthers, as opposed to the Nashville Predators, it almost might have to be a sigh of relief that, that <laughs> it's, it's more of a style that you're, you're more comfortable playing with, up and down. So, you know, we'll have to see it as, as they now face those three teams uh, this week um, and the next week plus. It's, it's one against Tampa, two against Florida, those three games here at home, and then you have three in a row in Carolina against the Hurricanes. Well, I mean, just look at the numbers. The Blackhawks had more points against Tampa Bay, Carolina, uh, Florida than, yeah. than Nashville altogether. And how much did we anticipate those heavy matchups for the Hawks? But, you know, they prepared. They found a way. And, you know, a few times they came out with two points of it. But, uh, but yeah, no, when you break it down that way, that, it, that is astounding. Yeah, the, the real mind-blowing stat uh, is when Nashville took their foot off the gas in that Wednesday game. And this is not to discredit the Blackhawks and everything that they accomplished because they stuck at it. And they they saw that opening and, and exploited it. But for the Blackhawks not to have scored more than three goals in any game this season and them to have to score three and three minutes yeah. in that Wednesday game was just – it's just kind of – It's hockey. It encapsulates <laughs> the difficulty of, of what they had against uh, what they had against Nashville this season and really going back to the 2017 first round as uh, – we have uh, well documented. UIC season done for you. It's all about Kane County and WGN Sports and WGN News and all things WGN for you now, right? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Spring uh, is sprung. We're on the verge of May here. <laughs> yeah, uh, UIC softball and volleyball both ended with undefeated records at home this year. Uh, softball and baseball are still going on, but uh, looks like my broadcast schedule with them is done unless some games get shuffled around every once in a while. That happens. But, uh, and King County gets going in a, couple, a week or a May weeks. 18th, yeah. It's opening day against the Chicago Dogs. We've got a couple of preseason games before that, too. But, uh, yeah, definitely looking forward to getting back, no pun intended, into the swing of things with a whole baseball season first time in two years and it's now we crazy. have joe doing news more regularly on yeah news. yeah if you hear some idiot you got talking about the news. you got brand <laughs> yeah if you hear some killer bees don't put Bowden in JB's, there though JB's. whatever you do yeah that's it <laughs> uh yeah if you, if you hear some idiot talking about the news on 720 that's uh that's me and only me everyone else is uh, a scholar no no it's it's been a it's been a fun time i uh, really appreciate ryan burrow and the news team for for giving me an opportunity and uh yeah it's a fun new challenge and just going you, with the flow you have Earned it. All right. Uh, well, the the Blackhawks. Uh, Andrew Shaw earns uh, definitely some stick taps here for a, a marvelous career, if just a little too short. We've had fun covering him. I know all of you had have had fun watching him. And uh, you know, as the season starts to wind down, the door isn't completely closed yet. But uh, they're asking for a miracle. It's actually uh, been a, a fun season. We're not going away yet, uh, but we're going to give it a little bit of space here because there is a fury of games coming up here, and the next time we'll have a podcast for you is after the Tuesday game against Carolina. So again, it's uh, it's uh, for this week, Tuesday, Tampa Bay, Thursday and Saturday, Florida at the United Center, and then three in a row at Carolina, including a makeup game from uh, earlier in the season. Uh, and so it's Monday and Tuesday games in Carolina. Uh, we'll record something after that Tuesday game in Carolina before they get back into action on uh, the Thursday at Carolina. Uh, so that's when we'll have our next Blackhawks 720 podcast coming your way. So our thanks to uh, Ernie Scatton and Curtis Koch 
for all of their uh, production expertise on this. And as always, thank you all for listening. Uh, we will talk to you uh, early next week after the second game against Carolina. Uh, once again, we appreciate you listening to the Blackhawk 720 podcast. Enjoy the rest of your week and stay healthy, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Blackhawks 720 podcast. Tell a friend, subscribe, and join the conversation. And follow the guys on Twitter at Boating Tweets and at Joe underscore brand one. That was great.